And thank you for tuning in to episode number 66 of the Department of Metal Antiquities. We have now achieved the level of Mario Lemieux. We are now at 1.25 years running strong. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much for being a part of our journey. And thank you for just kind of giving us a reason to keep talking. The fact that people are out there listening to us is, for me, uh, quite quite wonderful and i appreciate that as always check out my old-time hockey friends darren at the fourth line voice and alec at five for fighting even if they don't ever plug me i'll still plug them on a semi-weekly basis if i remember to uh if you are here because we are checking out a little bit of jethro tull action greatly appreciate you taking some time i would uh calmly and slyly request that you give us a two-week kind of lead time to see. Give us a two-week trial run for subscriptions to, you know, see if you like the content we're putting out. And if you uh, if you want to pick up what we're putting down, we'd really greatly appreciate that. If we can gain a couple of listeners every week, that's a great week. So thank you very much. Uh, of course, we are the podcast that tells you about records and albums and concerts by your favorite artists that maybe you never knew existed. This week, we're checking out an interesting one. It's a bit of a meta proposition, what we are doing. So I will uh, I will let Duncan and myself speak for ourselves when we get to that. But uh, it's, it's an interesting one, to say the least. But uh, not, a whole lot, not a whole lot to go on with this week. So I'm just going to say thank you and cue the music. There ain't no need for you. And welcome to the Department of Metal Antiquities. Where we remember what everyone else has forgotten and where Nick has forgotten that this is a metal show, um, although I really like what he was playing there, which was clearly the very, very metal sounds of reggae. Um, who are we listening to? Okay, well, I'm, I'm going to do my introduction anyway. Uh, as always, this is Nick Cameron, oh. joined by my favorite human in the world that does 17 different <laughs> bands, Duncan Evans. Uh, Hello. <laughs> I got what? too excited there about the fact you played reggae and just thought I'm going to ride roughshod over everything and shout Apparently, about reggae. Uh, did you not know the song that we were listening to? I didn't I'm ask you to know. I'm surprised you don't. That no. is a cover of The Clash, Straight to oh. Hell. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that does make some sense. There you go. Right. Back in uh, in my blog days when I was doing vinyl reviews, a got this one actually by surprise it uh i got an email one day saying hey did that record show up and i'm like what record and i emailed it back the next day yeah i got it i got it when i got home it was waiting for me he's like okay because it's expensive to mail these what this is is a reggae cover of some clash tunes nice what a lot of people don't realize that are me and like me and very very white like me it that have not gotten into reggae nearly as much as I should is that reggae is a very angry, very violent kind of music that is they just they just you know get really stoned so they don't get angry. But it's a very angry music like metal, and that's awesome. It is a protest song, it is a protest music. So they took an English protest song, Straight to Hell by the yeah. Clash, and did reggae. It's uh by Horace Andy. And then oh, he, yeah. he has also joined, there are other tracks, uh, by, there's two tracks by Horace Andy and two tracks by Big Youth on this one. Horace Andy's great. I've seen him live with the Massive Attack. Um, oh, right. So was it Horace Andy, literally, that was emailing you? Or was it like... Um, no, a, it was, it was, uh, it was uh, Rock, Paper, Scissors, PR, which is no longer right. my friend. That's very cool. Not, it wasn't even the head guy. It was uh, one of his interns. Right. But Still, yeah. that's that's very cool. I'm going to have to check that out. Um, and of yeah, course, I will put a link to it in the description like I do weekly. 
Yes, indeed. No, the Clash um, and, and other punk bands had an influence of, of reggae and did, did some reggae-ish tracks, but the, the influence doesn't usually go the other way, you know? Um, you don't usually get reggae guys being influenced by punk so much. So, yeah, that's cool, man. I, I, like thought, it. It, I thought it was an interesting choice this week, because I'm trying to... Oh. I, I did quite a few vinyl reviews over the years, because it was like a four or five-year time that I was doing them, and I don't request them anymore, and I tell people not to anymore, for the record. But... No pun intended. Oh, yeah, no pun intended. And most of the people that said they would in 2020 ended up saying, sorry, can't, which was fine. So I ended up buying them. Just like, hey, here's money. Send it to me. Yeah. And I'll, yeah. I'll write it up anyway. But uh, where was I going with this? Oh, so anyway, I'm trying to showcase more of those artists going forward. And yep. to just kind of get their name out there one more time as best I can do. Sounds good, man. Sounds good. Well, what are we talking about today? Well, again, kind of like how I just played some punk music that's not punk. We're talking about metal that's not metal. Indeed, indeed. Um, you this like that little is, twist there? I, I do. I like that link, Nick. Very, uh, very smooth. Um, I did not so, think of that until just right now. So there you go. Me. That's how professional <laughs> we are, or you are at least. Um, so in a much more bumbling way, I will explain that this is Crest of a Knave, which I've been incorrectly calling Crest for a Knave for the past however long we've been talking about <laughs> doing this record, and which I also mistakenly actually got the record itself wrong last week. But anyway, it's Crest of a Knave, which is the 16th album by Jethro Tull. It should be um, Crest for a Knave. That's a better Yeah, name. which is what I've been calling it, but it's not. It's Crest of a Knave. Um, so there we go. Um, yeah, so okay, so we talk about forgotten albums. Now, what happened with this album is not exactly what's happened with the other albums we've talked about. It was kind of a hit at the time, um, but it was a hit for kind a of. band kind of yeah it was a hit for a band um, in 1987 who were had really been more well known in the late 60s and early 70s um, but were having something of a resurgence in the mid 80s um now also what they somehow strangely managed to do was was this which is where it sits in the department of metal antiquities so in 1989 and don't ask me why it was two years later i'm um, gonna I, I have an idea i think it was okay. based on the singles this particular category of the Grammys that you're about to discuss yes. is not necessarily based on records, not necessarily based on albums, but oftentimes based on singles. And there was a 1988 single, which would have had it eligible for the 1989 Grammys. Right. And then that is, yeah, okay. I was wondering the same thing earlier and that's what I came up with. Yeah. So basically the 19, in 1989, so what happened was the Grammy Awards used to have a category called best hard rock slash metal performance, vocal or instrumental. What a mouthful that category is, but that's what it was called. So hard rock slash metal, basically that's, that's the key bit here. Um, or is it? Well, we'll find out in a second. So um, the critics' favourite was Nothing Shocking by Jane's Addiction. Um, and generally, um, fans were looking at And Justice For All by Metallica. Um, Metallica were really, really blowing up at this time. Um, they, they were the future of metal in many ways. Um, so... Um, and to the point where actually Jethro Tull were told by their management, don't bother attending the award ceremony. There's no point. There's no way that you're going to win this. Somehow they've got the nomination. They were on the list. I don't know how many were on the list, but it must have been a fairly big list. And everyone thought it was going to be Metallica or Jane's Addiction. So Jethro Tull didn't even turn up. And guess what happened? Somehow they won it. So Jethro Tull won an award for metal and metallica did not win that award for the album and justice for all one of the as much as i'm not a fan of them one of the all-time classic metal albums it is my personal favorite metallica record i would love to do it on the department of metal antiquities but that would fly in the face of everything we're doing forever so it it's it's some great irony that we're doing this one uh, apparently last week when we did lulu I got Duncan on a Metallica kick. 
So he did it the best way he knows how. And Duncan is holding up his copy of Lulu at me that he purchased. I didn't mention this. I didn't mention this. Uh, Yeah, because Duncan stopped mid-listen and goes, wow, this is great. And he bought a copy on Discogs. Yeah. Yeah. In order to show solidarity for my podcasting partner, I bought a Lou Reed record that same day. I Which bought was Transformer, Lou. I think. Nah, yes, I bought Lou Reed yeah. Transformer. What do you think? Oh, I loved it. I hey. loved it. And I'm listening to this going, how did I become this dude that loves Lou Reed records? I don't know, <laughs> man. It feels weird, but. Well, how did I become this dude that likes Metallica? What? What's yeah, this... going on? This is the first time either of us have bought an album because of because of something yeah. we did. Actually, no, that is not entirely true. I got oh, okay. my package from Duncan, and D- Duncan is doing me a major solid in being my English landing pad in order to save money on shipping because it costs twenty pounds to ship one record from Discogs, or twelve pounds to ship five if your friend is doing it for you and not trying to make a buck on it. Great. So, exactly. uh, so Duncan has left forty pounds on the table. Uh, by not charging me those extra eight pounds per record. But anyway, uh, I got my copy of David Lee Roth, A Little Ain't Enough, featuring Jason Becker on lead guitar, which we did a an album on that, I believe, with Mon- or an episode on that with Monarch. Oh, yes, we did. Yeah, yeah. But I bought it a year later, so I don't think it, it doesn't count nearly as much. Anyway, where was I? Well, we were just talking about the Grammys, I think. Oh, yes. And okay. what, yes, so 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 they, they won, um, did Jethro Tull. And actually, that that then changed um, the the history of the Grammys because at that point, basically they won, and then lots of people complained. They said, "What are you talking about? This is ridiculous. They're not metal at all. Jeff Toll. okay, hard rock maybe, but like, are they even hard rock? They've been doing folk albums for the past however many years." So at that point, they've actually, they changed the categories. So there's now like a rock category and a separate metal category. So Jethro Tull are not going to get in the metal category. Um, I would say that Aqualung is is hard rock. Yeah, I, I, I would. Although, yeah, yeah, I would say. It's still a little folky. It's a little, it's a little odd. It's Yeah, um, there's lots of folky stuff on it, but it has some big riffs as well, doesn't it? Yeah, what what I love about this album that we're doing today, though, it it the album itself, I would argue, is completely forgotten. It's just gone. Exactly no that. Point. Even though it was a minor, that's what I was going to come on to say. It was a minor hit at the time, or it was it was what seemed to be a big resurgent hit at the time. But since then, no one talks about it, apart from in the context of it won the Grammys against Metallica. No, no one even mentions the name of the album in the incident. That's true, which is why I got the wrong album. Exactly which what, that. Which is what I find so interesting about this particular subject. Yeah. We are talking about an album that is at the center of a, pardon my French, the center of a shitstorm bigger than the Grammys could ever have imagined. Mm-hmm. And no one knows the name of it. Yeah, exactly. I've, been, I've even been calling it the wrong name for the past however long. <laughs> Like, for the past three yeah. weeks, because we've been talking about this one for three weeks. So for the past three weeks, you've been, uh, he I, had me listening to the one about the broadsword, which. Yeah, sorry, that's the wrong one. I just, I don't know why I thought it was that. I, I, I don't wish know. it was that, because that one was awesome. Right, okay. I, I must digging that one. I, must, I, I don't have that one. I'm probably going to buy that but, one on vinyl, not this one. Right. Well, this one, um, the album covers is pretty terrible, I would say. And I pretty also terrible, noticed yes. that it. it it says Jethro in the tiniest writing ever, and then Tull in massive. And I know from hearing interviews that Ian Anderson, um, singer and main songwriter, by the way, from Jethro Tull, in case people didn't know, um, he says he he hated the Jethro part of the name, or still does, hates the Jethro part of the name, but loves the Tull bit. He says Tull sounds like this um, this sci-fi kind of spaceship or this this big monster, but Jethro sounds like what it is, which is the inventor of the seed drill in whatever, I don't know what, what year it was. What, but, um, okay, what is, the, when you hear the name Jethro, what goes into your mind? Because you are from the northern countryside of England. Yes. And I'm from America. And in America, we have a very specific. Oh, okay, well, well, we have a comedian that's just called Jethro, who's like a silly kind of old school 1970s comedian that, that now seems, I think he's still around, but quite out of date 
probably what's the word kind of light-hearted and very um very silly humor but probably also slightly inappropriate and um i i'm i i do not want to slander the guy but i'm guessing yeah, a lot of comedians in the 70s uh, comedy I, I, com- I, comedy I goes that way every yeah so i didn't to be honest i don't know what his comedy's like so i i don't know but so i think of him and i and i think of um the inventor of the seed drill jethro okay. Tull. Uh, in America, go on. You'll have to tell me what you mean. There was a television program called the Beverly Hillbillies. Okay. Uh, what they did was they took the concept of the odd couple and mm-hmm. ran with it. Instead of it being the odd couple, you had this hillbilly family from the 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 hills of Tennessee, accidentally right. striking oil and making it rich. Okay. So then they did what rich folks are supposed to do. They moved to California. Right. 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 Never right. stopped being hillbillies. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So you've got these hillbillies in 1967 worth $25 million. Right. Which would make them basically billionaires now. Yeah, yeah, Except, yeah. Except, you know, Jed, the, the patriarch of the family, is still wearing his whole hat with holes and rips in it. They're still using ropes as belts. I, I mean, see. These are backwoods people. Like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. real backwoods people. And... Uh, Jethro is the name of the second generation male, Jethro right. Clampett, and he is a complete, total, bumbling moron of a hick. Right. So there that's what Jethro means. If you if you're a Jethro, that's what you are. Interesting. Interesting. Complete backwoods moron. Right. Not, not like you. not to say that not meaning that all backwoods people are morons, that all rural people are morons. I mean, my family's from rural Missouri, but to mean the worst kind of rural person. I'm, so. I'm with you, man. The, the, that, this, the stereotypes, I, I, I get the stereotype, man. Yeah, totally. Um, yes. And I okay. apologize for my hair because I'm staring at this and, oh my God, this is awful. Uh, well, it's a good, it's not a TV, to, to be honest, Nick, it's fine, but it looks, listen, it's not a TV show anyway, so we're, we're, we're cool. You know what, um, it's, it's a little bit new wavy, though, if I do it just right, which kind of fits in, yeah. it's in keeping with this record. There you go. Foreshadowing. Yes, no, no, it's fine. So, okay, so, um, I, I, where are we at? So, the, yeah, the cover's kind of terrible. It's just got a, a, a crest, like a medieval crest thing on the front, fine. It's not good. It's, it's um, boring, it doesn't say anything. And yeah. I would say that the title of this album is completely non-representative of what's oh, even here. A hundred percent. I totally agree. I totally agree with that. So then beyond that, I didn't know what to expect. Um, oh, oh, actually, let's just talk about the personnel. So you've got um, basically half of Fairport Convention, um, uh, English folk rock group on uh, as the lineup of this band. You've got Rick Sanders, violin player from Fairport Convention on one track. You've got Jerry Conway, drummer from Fairport Convention on like four of the tracks. A guy called Doan, I'm not sure if it's, I think it might be Dwayne, Dwayne Perry, who's an American guy who played drums on two of the tracks. I don't know much else about him. I thought, Mark, maybe, maybe I'm mistaken, but isn't he the actual drummer? I don't think so. Yeah, here we go. No, yes, but 1984 to 2011. So yes, but not from the absolute classic. He was the drummer. Of, he was the drummer at the time. I think that's right. So I don't know why they got um, Jerry Conway. Like I'm not quite sure how that. They also used out. a lot of drum machines on this record. Sure, sure. Uh, I don't know. Is there? Yeah, yeah, there is. Okay, you're right. Yeah, and it says here Ian Anderson. Yeah, you know, you're totally right. Drum yeah, program. Ian Anderson is doing synths, vocals, songwriting, breathy flute that he's famous for, and programming the drum machine. Absolutely, and and produced by Jethro Tull. I'm guessing Ian Anderson was probably the main guy that did that. Um, Martin Barr, who is the classic um, guitar player, may have always been the guitar player. I think probably that's correct, is the guitar player. And then Dave Pegg of Fairport Convention is on bass, who who was with Jethro Tull at the time, but wasn't in the classic um, lineup. He was from a, from 1980, um, was in Jethro Tull for a few years. So, um, yeah, um, pr- production, I've already said that. It was, it was self-produced. Um, it's, it a doesn't complete, it's a complete mixed bag of a lineup. Yeah, it is. You know, it's, half it's, of these people aren't, you know, classic members, and the half that are are playing the parts of the other people. And, yeah, it's like, okay, well. 
that's it that's it oh here we go robin black was the engineer but yeah so there we go the engineer, um, just the guy that he, the engineer turns the knobs when the producer tells him what well this is true but you never quite know what what the balance is in that relationship you, you, you just never quite know like sometimes you get big guys going yeah i want to produce and then really the engineer just actually produces but they give the credit to the uh to the big rock star musician anyway because they wanted it so so you never quite know this could really be um technically produced uh, by that guy we don't we don't know but um yeah. Uh, okay. So I think we probably just need to get into the track by track. I don't have anything else massively to say. Um, All right. I'm going to ask you to, if you, we can go back and forth on starting as we always do. Just please announce the titles because I don't know them. I was, uh, I, I had a lot to do this morning. <laughs> Busy time in our lives. So totally, uh, totally. I have my notes. I listened to the whole thing. I just don't have the titles. Yeah. No, it's cool. I've got them. Um, I just will say as well, the vinyl version misses off two of the tracks. Um, interestingly, the, the, the CD version um, is 48 minutes 50. So they could have squeezed it on um, vinyl, but the, the vinyl version is 39.30 and only has seven tracks. The two Whereas tracks the, it was missing were B-sides to the singles. Right. Okay. So if you were getting the vinyl uh, version, you had to collect all of the vinyls basically and i got all like, 10 yeah. tracks or nine tracks or i got nine there is a 2005 remaster with a 10th track but i ignored that because okay like, that's what i had we can stuff. we can skip it so fine okay okay um all right look let's go okay so steel monkey track one so it starts with this electronic arpeggio arpeggiator synth type thing and it's very very unjethro soul then it comes in with some rock riffs, um, which are quite good. And then it kicks in with like 80s hard rock, but then the singing and the songwriting style over the top suddenly just sounds like dire straits. And then and then these some things just start to make sense to me because Dire Straits had just had a massive, massive hit with Brothers in Arms, which was released in 1985. And you think, right, I see what's happened here. They've listened to that. They really like it. And it was a massive hit. So they've gone, let's do that. The vocals are suddenly sounding very much like Mark Knopfler. Um, you can still tell it's Ian Anderson, but it's like he's doing an impression of Mark Knopfler. Um, but you know what? Although it doesn't sound that much like Jethro Tull, and it's clearly to an extent ripping off Dire Straits, I think it is a strong song. It's very catchy. I like, I've always liked Ian Anderson's lyrics. I think the, the lyrics are strong in this as well. And I think there is just enough darkness and grit to save it from being a horrible 80s cheese fest. I personally like it, but I can see why Jethro Tull fans might have hated it. Who knows? Uh, first, before I get going, I'm just going to say the reason why his voice is different is he had throat surgery uh, Jethro Tull took a three-year hiatus because Ian Anderson had a throat surgery, which limited his range and is what changed him from the very rangeful vocalist that he was in the 60s and 70s into this guy. Yeah, I read that, but I also think he's doing an impression of Martin Opfer as well. I think it's too much he of isn't. A... I'm not saying yeah. he isn't. I'm just saying yeah. that there's a reason why he's not as much. But uh, to me... I'm listening to this song. I'm cleaning my kitchen, getting ready for this record that I mean, I've heard nothing about in my life. And, but I know so much about that moment in time. So I am ready to hear something. And it's wacky synth pop. Okay. <laughs> my thought, my first thought was, where is the flute? Yes, I agree. Because, you know, the one thing that, the one thing that Jethro Tull is really good at is playing the flute poorly in a way that makes you want to hear that. Because I don't know if anybody's ever said it, but he is bad at the flute. He is not, oh, his, I technique, don't know. his technique is awful. You I'm sure it is. Him, I'm, you I'm can not hear him flute. breathing on the flute. Yeah, you can, but I think like he does that shouty thing, and I, I like it. I think he's doing you're it. Not, okay, you're not supposed to hear the breath on the flute you're just supposed okay. to hear the flute sure, he's, sure. he's 
Look, he's great at making a bad flute sound good. Fair enough. I mean, I'm not a flute player, so I, I don't know exactly how the flute's supposed to be played. But but yeah, look, no, I totally take that. Um, but, I, but yeah, I, I love like, it. I, like I love his flute playing, but he's his technique is his technique is as bad as my guitar technique. Let's just call the thing what it is. Yeah, then, no, fair enough, man. Fair enough. Know, yes, then we go with some great riffs and we get this really cool hard rock solo. The guitars on this 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 track basically is the whole record for me. Mm -hmm. What is this? What are you doing? That's a good guitar wreck. That's a good guitar solo. Okay. You know, it, yeah. to me, this is very reminiscent of that time we listened to, and I'm sorry that we did this, of uh, the Nick Mason wackadoo record that he did. Mason oh, yes. Profiles. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of that wackadoo kind of synth weirdness that is just all over this. And yes. Dire Straits, yeah, they were paying attention, but there's other bands they were paying attention to as well. Oh, for sure, for sure. And I'll get on, and I'll and I'll get to that as we get to them. Sure, but yeah, you're right about the guitar playing. There's some great lead guitar on this, and some good riffs as well. Um, They're okay. just never the the riffs are never the focus like they have been in the past. The yeah. synths are the focus on this album. Yeah, I don't know. I was, do you know what? I think on Steel Monkey, I think it's a nice 50 50, but but I take your point. It's definitely way more synth heavy. I mean, as in there are synths in it at all, because that's not something you expect from Jeff Rotel. Um, uh, okay. It's just, it, you just need one, and it's just synth heavy Jeff Rotel track. But that's exactly. not what you have. They're everywhere. Yeah, there are. There are a lot of synths on here. Yeah, you're right. Okay, so number two. Farm on the freeway. So you you take the lead with this. All right. Uh, it's 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 like wow. It's more 1980s synthesizer music. I wasn't sure I was listening to to. I, I was I wasn't expecting an Oingo Boingo record this week. Um, <laughs> even the flute on this track is on the synths. He synthesized his flute this time. No, he doesn't. That's real flute. That is not That's real flute. Real flute. Yes, it no. is. Or I will bet money on that. There is real flute. Or on he's that. playing it through like some electronic synth of weirdness, like an E flute. It's it might e have flute. some effects. It might have some effects on it, but that's that's real flute. It sounded Definitely. like a synth flute to me. I didn't hear the breathy weirdness, so I'm assuming he went and it's the flute. Then we finally get the flute and the guitar like riffing together, which yeah. is that thing that I never thought I wanted, but I loved when I heard it. It's yeah. like, okay, cool. And then the song ends strong. Good, strong ending to the tune. A nice exclamation point. You know, we got something. We got something there. Still weird. Yes. I mean, yeah. So it starts off with an atmospheric synth intro, and I like the weird jazz chords, but it's nothing like Jethro Tull. And then, yeah, then the flute arrives, and I do think it is a real flute, and you're like, okay, finally, it's here. <laughs> But then they bring in this clean lead guitar, which wasn't on the first track. And it's like, whoa, you've just taken that from Mark Knopfler. That is the Dire Straits guitar tone. So they don't drop this one. Um, but but it's cool. It's brooding and it's building. And to be honest, I'm thinking the flute can actually, yeah, okay, it makes it sound more like Jethro Tull, but I'm not sure it fits here. Very Dire Straits. The flute song. really doesn't fit in Jethro Tull, if I'm being honest. When you're singing songs about like riding trains, you don't need a flute, but it's there, oh, but, and we're fine with it. It's great on that early Jethro Tull stuff, though. Uh, but yeah, I know, I know what you mean. You don't you need mean. it though. That you don't need. If you took the flute out of Jethro Tull, I think they're just as popular as they ever were. Not more, not less. The exact same. Maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe. Um, but yeah, so so that's happening. And then it goes into more very, very dire straits, melodies and vocals and production. But I think it's really good. They're great melodies. It's great songwriting, good lyrics. And then it builds into this like classy sounding 80s pop rock. And yeah, look, it's slightly cheesy with the, the benefit of hindsight, but I like it. Um, slightly I cheesy. That. Yeah, you know, I suspend disbelief and I just get into it and I, I like it. And again, there's just enough grit, just enough to save it from being absolutely stupid and horrible. And <laughs> then, yeah, then, and, and I like, sorry, I like the chorus as well, some vocal harmonies. Then it goes into this prog bit. 
a bit almost prog metal, big guitar solo, heavy guitar tone. And then you get like what you're talking about, the guitar and flute dueling. And then we're right into proper Jethro Toll territory, some prog riffs, um, some extended soloing. Okay, it's real quick, awesome. real quick, real quick. What record did you listen to this week? <laughs> Come on. You talked about the trading off between the flute and the guitar. I'm not, I'm not 100% sure we're listening to the same record, but go on. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. And then it goes faster towards the end. There's more um, guitar and flute solo. And he's doing a shouty thing where you get him going, Rawr! and stuff, which I like, you know, and it's nice. Then it goes back into the song. Then there's even more guitar solo stuff. And it's possibly a bit over long at this point, but it's cool and I possibly like it. Possibly over long. Yes. Um, I can't remember how long this one is, but maybe like six minutes-ish, I'm thinking. The, the album, um, as I listened to it, was about 60 minutes. 60 minutes this was this whole album's 48 um, i did the, the 10 track, track version oh you must have a 10 minute track on the end there, there is a 10 minute track on this thing oh yeah here we go seven it's seven minutes on the end but yeah it, there is a 10 minute track in the middle yeah yeah so your version would have been um for 55 56. i wish i would have known i didn't have to listen to that stupid ninth 10th track okay whatever <laughs> moving on okay all right, this is now next one, Jumpstart, track three. So it starts with some fast acoustic driving, bluesy, folky stuff, just no drums, just the acoustic guitar. And then you've got some folk rock melodies coming in, and I'm liking it. There's a bit of rock and roll influence there. I'm liking that. And it builds gradually with some interesting percussion. And the full band comes in, and it's moody and brooding. And again, I'm liking this as well. And then some great flute soloing, flute uh, flute riffing, um, and then some big hard rock riffs and a catchy hook, and I like it. And then you've got some classic uh, proggy Jethro Tull bits and a fruit fruit solo, a flute solo. Right um, a fruit solo. Give me that banana. Yeah. And then we go back into the song part and then we've got another guitar solo. And again, I would say maybe it's a bit overlong, but I think it's, again, well written, great hooks, great um, choruses. And I like the fact that they actually do the proggy Jethro Tull thing with lots of flute. So, yeah, I'm into this one. All right, I guess it's my turn now. Uh, I hate to be contrarian. So it starts off with this, like, foresty acoustics uh if you're watching a disney film you're pretty sure bambi is going to walk out the forest <laughs> and this is going on and everybody's happy and then the song starts and bambi's mom gets shot in the head for me so at this point in time i'm just asking why am i listening to this because i said okay. i would that's the only reason at this point because i said i would <laughs> And I'm ready for the next track. Oh, is that it? Right. Okay. That's fair it. enough. That's you didn't it. like it. Right. That's no. fair enough. Okay. Look, so number four, track four. She said she was a dancer. Okay. Now, uh, this one, I got things to say. Go on then. Okay. One, uh, it starts off modern jazzy guitar and then it becomes a wacky country ballad. And I'm like, okay. And it, this is a song about Ian Anderson trying to hook up with a Soviet dancer after the fall of the Berlin Wall. It must be and before I'm, the fall of the wall because this was five years before or four years before the fall of the wall. No, the wall was 1990 or 1989. Yeah, so this was 1987, wasn't it? That it came oh, out. Oh, it so was 87. Exactly. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm sorry. Okay, so okay, so he's trying to get with a, a Soviet ballet dancer before the fall of the Berlin Wall. And he's yeah. self-aggrandizing Maybe, oh, maybe you've seen me on state TV. And I am just like, dude, I'm going to punch you. You are being so disgusting right now. <laughs> so neither the song nor the story work for me on this one. Yeah, I know what you mean. I think I'm, I'm, I'm just going to look at the lyrics again. But I think in the end, um, basically, it all goes wrong and he fails to attract this, uh, to get anywhere with this with this woman. Um, and he and you know and he and he says that at the end he says something like I tried to give her a kiss but it was a near miss or something like that. Here we go, here we go. Yeah, so I so I stole one kiss. It was a near miss. She looked at me like I was Jack the Ripper. She leaned in close. Good night was all she said. So I took myself off to bed. So yeah, I but I get what you mean. Yeah, he's he's um. Yeah, he's talking about um, being a uh, by that time kind of I guess aging um, rocker. 
and um, trying a sort to find of, relevance somewhere. Something that never was between him and this uh, this woman. But I kind of like the fact that at the end he just admitted that it was all a, all a complete flop, basically. So that that sort of redeemed it for me. Okay, um, you know that that's lyrically. that's a fair point. Lyrically, narratively speaking, that's a fair point. You know, he's he's trying. Oh yeah, look at me! I'm so big! I'm so huge! You're you know, I'm surely subversive to the Soviet propaganda machine, so they're going to talk about me. And then it's like, yeah, well, I screwed this up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I kind of liked, I kind of liked those lyrics, but but I I do get what you mean. There's certainly a um, a slight cringiness. Uh, well, quite a lot of cringiness. Well, about I mean, in, now in that. fairness to Ian Anderson, how many times have we not done records where there's some cringiness in the vocal? Oh, dude, I mean, yeah, I mean, come on, yeah, there's a lot, a lot worse uh, said in it. Yeah, there's in, a lot worse than this that that we. Yeah. Like the Joe Perry project comes to mind. Uh, yeah. Blackjack comes to mind. I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot. Yeah. But look, this this one is, I quite liked it. Again, it's very dire straits. It's like, a, you're right, it's got a bit of country in there, like a rock ballad with a bit of country. And I think that's dire straits, uh, dire straits' influence. Completely. I'm not, I'm not uh, a big fan of Jethro Tull. I own Thick sure. as a Brick, which I'm not a big fan of, and I own Aqualung, yeah. which is an amazing record that everyone should have that. So I don't yeah, know. I, I'm not a big fan of them outside of Aqualung, I have to say. I don't hate them. I, I quite like them, but I, they don't blow me away. Um, yeah. But that's I, a great, I, that's a great, that's a classic rock record. Everyone should have that one. Aqualung, yes, for sure, for sure. And for sure. So I don't know the breadth of of this band and and my research for this i kept seeing the these amazing prog rock geniuses and whatnot so you know maybe this is normal for them i don't know but to me it feels like a hard left turn that didn't need to be taken i, I think you're right i think you're right i don't think this is normal for them yeah and there's a guitar solo that's very mark Knopfler. um yeah, look it's it's fine it's it's not the best it's it's like how can i put it, it it's like um 1980s coffee table music if that means anything um in the, in the US. yeah right yeah it's it's that sort of thing that there was a lot of at the time and it's ian anderson trying his hand at that and he's a good singer songwriter so he, he he does it quite well but it's like yeah this isn't really jethro toll though is it um this is maybe maybe you should have saved this for your solo project i, I think it's like that really um so although okay. the guitar player claimed that he had more influence on this record than he normally did right yeah i mean there's certainly more there's now, a lot that could have been a self, that could have been a self-aggrandizement trying yeah. to make himself sound more important to this album than he was but mm. yeah never don't know. know don't know um but yeah okay so track five dogs in the midwinter which is one of the ones left off the vinyl um, so this starts with an organ and flute and synth intro. It's atmospheric and dark. Then it built, builds into this like quite fast um, shuffle beat, and it's very eighties prog. And there is there are some incredibly cheesy eighties synths coming oh, in yeah. here, and it's oh, yeah. pushing it for me. I like the vocals. It goes very pop in the chorus, very pop. Um, it's like yeah, look, it's like good, well written eighties pop, but this this is really um on the I'm, I'm, giving, I'm giving duncan my robert de niro face so just wanted to throw, let everybody know that <laughs> yeah it's definitely borderline um going into being too it's not, border, it's not borderline um, it, it's it's in that territory yeah it may well be there's some cool proggy solos with the flute and guitar but this is we're kind of into like yes territory or um focus territory that that sort of slightly silly prog when people want to say that prog's stupid like this is the sort of thing that they would play you know <laughs> duncan has stolen that analogy from me that is my analogy <laughs> okay i wrote Sorry. that one copyright i'm claiming it okay so <laughs> for me you know this it starts with the synths and it's like okay just give me the goddamn flute solo let's just get the flute solo over with and move forward and then we get the flute solo, and now we have Phil Collins in the air tonight. Yeah. Dude. So, okay. This is Jethro Tull at the very end, tail end of the era, 
really nailing that new wave pop sound. Way to go. Okay. Sure. And I got no idea what's going on in this song. This song is completely, it's completely bonkers. And this band, this is an entire band that has no clue what they're doing here, but they're all doing it together with conviction. And that's this one. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so next we have the 10-minute epic Budapest. Holy crap, I don't need 10 minutes of Jethro Tull ever, but here we are. <laughs> uh, although I have Thick as a Brick, which has two 20-minute tracks, so I guess I, I guess I take that back. Anyway, so it starts off with like this King Arthur kind of minstrelly music. And I'm like, yeah, let's go with this. And we got this acoustic guitar that's not a synth. And just come on, keep doing, keep doing this. Please, for the love of God, give me, give me a Jethro Tull song. And they did. And the lyrics are like, what in the hell are you going? Okay. Well, whatever, I don't care. Just just do it, and I'm happy. And I was happy with this one, finally. Okay. I'm, I'm glad okay. the longest song on the record is the one I like the best. Sure, sure. Well, yeah, this is one of those songs that, that, that goes in movements. You know, it's they do the prog theme where they, they start somewhere, then they go somewhere, somewhere else, then they go back to the first thing and they go, let's do a varied version. Now let's go off and do a solo in a different key and now let's come back to the song part again. So look, yeah, it, it starts off with a brooding piano and flute. It builds up, acoustic guitar and vocals come in. It's really dire straits again. And the lyrics and the rhymes are so Mark Knopfler. There's a thing, what, what does he say? International competition in the air. And you think that that's that's like straight out of um, whatever kings the album, of swing. Love Over Gold or whatever. That is, that's yeah. straight out Dolls, of it, where the kings Dolls of swing. Dolls of swing, swing. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, totally, exactly. Um, but then it builds into a bit more of a hard rock ballad. I like the dynamics. I like the way it builds. Um, then we go into some long prog rock sections, which probably if you're into Jethro Tull, you're going to like um, them. To, to be honest, for me, it, it is getting into nonsense prog at times. We've got a bit of that yes and focus thing going on. You know, we've got like... You know, it gets a bit like that. I had um, something to say that entire 30 seconds but i needed to hear all of that one of the things i i i think it was uh steve howe was the interviewer was the one that was interviewed he was in yes wasn't he yeah yeah, yeah. i think it was him what he said was the thing about prog music you know not prog rock but prog like yes and kansas and those nut bars and i have plenty of their records both of them. oh sure yeah no me too man yeah they're they're complete nut bar records but i mean they're, they're fun to listen to every now and again when you just want to go what and the way he described it was you need to take two pieces of music that have nothing to do with each other and make them go together like they're supposed to be there yeah and the problem is sometimes they're like they're supposed to be their bit. Like they don't always get that bit right. But um, but yeah, and I, I get it. And, and I know actually Ian Anderson said about this album, I think he even might have said it about this song, that what he what he liked about it was that they were doing a lot of that, like starting with a weird classical bit, then going into jazz, then going into hard rock, then go and and in his words, he says something like, and you don't notice it's seamless. You don't notice the um Oh, no, I, know, I, I, I noticed. Do. Yeah, I kind of do, but yeah, exactly, exactly. But yeah, look, I think it's a good song. Um, it's all, it's a bit too long for me. They keep, they go into another big prog section. They're, like you've, you've kind of got three verses and three choruses, but separated by like three minutes in between each one of like prog rock. Um, Don't phrases. think of it as separated by three three-minute bits. Think of it as separated by three sections of nine middle eights yeah it's kind of like that yeah absolutely yeah it, it is very much like that yeah but yeah look look it's quite good it's a bit too much for me um I don't it is it is too much it but, is too much but you know it's prog rock it's supposed to be too much so you know yeah fine if it's not too much is it even prog there you go exactly so we next have track seven which is mountain men so we have a creepy synth intro it's kind of like like horror movie soundtrack type of thing. And sorry, the what, was, what was the name of this one? No, Mountain Men. Okay, I thought the name was. 
that's a better name. Could have been. It could have been. Um, but yeah, it's balladish again. And then like the vocals come in, you've got that clean electric guitar coming in again. Very, very Mark Knopfler. Then it builds with some drums, dum, 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 and then kicks in with hard rock folk prog, and it's pretty good. <laughs> then it changes pace. They go, no, we don't want that. We're gonna go double time we're gonna go faster and we're gonna build stuff up and get loads of lead flute going on and it is pretty cool and then it carries on building and then we're into like hard rock slash 80s prog and i'm liking it actually i'm getting right into this and then the vocals come back again um and it's cool i like it it's this kind of rock and roll pop influence thing and yes it is very dire straits yet again but it's cool it really works um and then we've got some other things going on and a nice big guitar solo and then it ends slow and brooding again. And I think that's a great song. So there you go. Okay then. Well, for me, uh, let me say, I don't like Jethro Tull singing about issues so on the nose. I don't actually, can't remember what it's even about actually. This is the one about the farmers who had all their, like this is like the Farm Aid song where or do we miss uh, that? Okay. We got into that? I think I may have not realized it was quite so topical. I think I maybe thought it was a bit fantastical. Like he was talking about um, yeah, yeah, ancient, yeah. This ancient is the one. mountain men that just lived on the hills and it was all... You know all what? Maybe, maybe it's not this one, but the criticism still stands. But there is a song about farmers losing their land to the banks. The one, that, that's the one. Um, yeah, that's probably... The, Farm on the freeway, I'm guessing, where they had to. Oh, move. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that one. Okay. But, yeah. Have we gotten to that one yet? Did I miss it? That was sec track two. Yeah, we've got to that one. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. That okay. Either way, this is, you know, I like Jethro Tull being far more enigmatic, far more metaphoric, rather. And this album, in this song, this entire album so far, everything is very much on the nose. There is no unpacking. Yeah, I'm just looking at this, um, the lyrics for this one. Sorry. Uh, yeah, like, did my tour, did my duty. I did all they asked of me. And then it goes, died in the Falklands on TV. So, yeah, it's about the Falklands War. It's topical stuff. Um, yeah, so, I knew this one was topical, but I forgot what it was. Okay. Yeah, you're, you're totally right. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is I like Jethro Tull singing about things that matter, like thick as a brick, very topical, but it's not on the nose. It's not him saying, oh, we need to stop voting for dumb politicians. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's him getting there and taking you there rather than him showing you the map. Yeah. And for me, it, it, this, sound, this one was trying to be this big statement song of this big epic thing. And this song sucks. It's boring. <laughs> it's dull. It's more of the same. You know, it, it's there's so little of this album so far that has really stuck out for me and really made me feel anything, except for the one 10 minute track, which probably could have been seven, really. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, well, the penultimate track then, uh, track eight, The Waking Edge, which is the other one that's missed off the vinyl uh, edition. So you have some piano, organ, and flute at the start. You've got these jazzy riffs um, over the over organ drones. I, I like it. Then you get these acoustic and flute solos, acoustic guitar and flute solos, some really nice acoustic guitar playing. Then it changes pace, and you've got these piano arpeggios, and we're going in balladish territory again. And then, wow, this bit is so much like Brothers in Arms by Dire Straits. There's this melody, da, 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 which is how Brothers in Arms starts. Then it, then it changes, but like that bit is pretty much just taken from Brothers in Arms, the song by Dire Straits, which is a bit too, um, bit too obvious for me. But, um, but it's well written, good vocals, um, good lyrics from what I remember. Um, it's, look, it's an 80s pop rock ballad and there are some cheesy bits. You've got this brass synth and there's a, a weird shaker that comes in it's unnecessary but i do think it's a strong song and it carries it so i i was pretty happy with this one although it's not very jethro at all either duncan has forgotten that it was my turn to start or he is was so it? used or he's so used to me having these on vinyl that he just assumed i didn't hear it oh yeah it was your turn to start sorry nick could have gone either way could have gone either way 
I'm not padding out the time because we're well, not going short. On the next one, there we go. And okay, then it's that's fair. A number of tracks anyway, you know. Someone I'm going to do the last one just to just to show you now. Okay, you can do track ten as well. I haven't even heard. Don't. Anyway, moving on. It starts off this one now. You know, we have the Arthurian forest themes. We have the Bambi forest themes. Now they've decided to move forward and try something new and different. Now it's jungle theme. So instead of it being Bambi or Sword in the Stone from Disney, now we've got Simba and Call of the Wild. That's the name of this that album, that, that book, isn't it? Call of the Wild? There's the Jungle Book and there's the Jungle Lion King. Book. That's the one. Jungle Book. Or Lion, Jungle Book or Lion King. Either way. Yeah. But I mean, that's exactly what this album so far has felt to me a lot of. It feels like Disney music, where the music's there and it's, it serves a purpose, but it's not really, that's not the form they're going for. And then we get into like Mexican Zorro sword fighting music. And I'm really confused by a whole lot of this. And oh, and then all of a sudden that 90 seconds of music had nothing to do with anything else. Now we're going to go on to this old other thing where Jethro Tull or Ian Anderson, I guess, whatever. Ian Anderson is Jethro. If you've got a name like Jethro Tull, your singer is Jethro Tull. I don't care what he says his name is. So Jethro Tull's sitting at the bar. He's drinking his bourbon. He's like, ah, I was somebody once. He's just tired. He's haggard. He's lonely. This is him trying to like pick up Soviet chicks a couple of weeks ago. So, I mean, I don't know what's going on here. And this song sucks. I don't like this song even a little. Fair enough, man. Fair enough. Um, well, okay. What did you make of the final track then, Raising Steam? Uh, I can sum it up pretty pretty easily, you know? Money for nothing, chicks for free. Yeah, it is like that. You're right. Is that all you're going to say about this one? That's all I feel like I need to say. Okay, well, look, it comes in with a big hard rock riff. And yeah, you're right. There's, there's, It's like that side of... Uh, dire Straits this time. Then you've got another arpeggio synth, like on the first track. But I like it; it works. To me, this is very much like '80s ZZ Top, where they're just they're, they're, you've got this bluesy hard rock with this weird '80s synth thing, and somehow it just really should not work at all, but it does. Um, some great guitar leads. Um, the vocals are incredibly Mark Knopfler, like or like on most of this record. I like it. Some cool songs, cool hooks, sorry, and I think it's well written. So I like it. It's not very Jethro Tull at all, but um, yeah, whatever. If it works, it works. So um, yeah, I like it. Okay, I'm just gonna now give my my thoughts on track ten, which I don't know the name of because I don't know the name of any of these songs. Tell me the and name of it. Hang on. It, hang on. This I'll tell you. I'll tell you. Okay. It's called okay. Part of the Machine. Called what now? Part of the Machine. Huh. I wonder if any very famous English bands have ever done a synth-heavy track about <laughs> machines and being. Indeed. Maybe Pink Floyd. Have they ever done one? Well, I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe on that "Wish You Were Here" record, perhaps. <laughs> Absolutely. Anyway. You know, and this one, it's another synth heavy track. And at this point, you just can't, you, you're just not going to stop them. They're just like, you know what? This is our synth record and we're going to live or die with synthesizers. And yeah, that's really all you need to know about that one. Okay. Okay. Well, okay. Live or die then. Spin it or bin it. Well, look, um, I did not know what to expect from this album. Um, and I, I guess I liked it more than I thought I would. I don't know what I thought I was going to get. I knew somehow that it wasn't going to sound like classic 70s Jethro Tull. I think I just knew that they'd moved away from that. I think I've got another one from this sort of era. I think it's the previous one, which is called Under Wraps, which I didn't like very much. I've got it on vinyl, and I think that is very synth-heavy, like even more than this, and there's almost it feels like there's no guitars on it from my memory. There probably are guitars on it, but um, so I knew they'd gone in a bit of a weird direction. Um, it's very different from their early 70s stuff. Um, but you know what? I like this. I, 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 look, for all the criticism that I can level at it, it's ripped off um, Mark Knopfler and Dire Straits heavily. A lot of it just doesn't really sound like what Dire Straits should be doing. 
there's quite you a mean lot Jethro Tull uh, Jethro Tull oh okay. yeah absolutely there's a lot of chasing the hits um although I really like Ian Anderson's lyrics some of them miss the mark a bit um she what is it I'm your Pepsi Cola but you won't take me out of the can okay Jesus good goddamn tap dancing Christ yeah 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 um I, I now, look I, I heard that lyric but apparently I have just wiped it from my memory but as soon as you say it, uh, I remember it now. And I'm like, how did nobody go? Look, dude, maybe, yeah. maybe, maybe, maybe we don't do that line. Maybe, maybe we come up with something different. Cause I'm with you, man. Awful. I'm with you. But you know what? I just like it for me. There's the two things that it has quite a lot of that just work for me are really well-written songs that just I, that I just can't help but like like a good a good song that's written um how can I put it just this the art of constructing a good song when, when it when it works it works even if it's cheesy um I just um a really good song transcends that for me um and there's loads of great songs on here um and also they've got loads of those classic Jethro Tull moments in the middle of the songs where they're doing the flute solos and the guitar solos, they're going proggy and it's great. Um, so yeah, you know what, for me, this is absolutely a spin it. Um, but yes, it is weird. Yes, it's ripped off Dire Straits. Yes, there's loads of stupid synths on it, but just suspend disbelief and enjoy it. It's great. Okay then, so... What I love about this podcast, what I love about Duncan is we have similar but different tastes. If you took a Venn diagram of what we like in music, and you know, not like bands and artists and, you know, that kind of thing, but what we like in the songs themselves, I think we, our Venn diagram covers about 75% the same. Yeah, and, then probably. Have, and then we have this 25% on each end where we both hear something and get completely different things. Like Duncan's big thing is, you know, complaining about twiddly widdly guitar solos. That's, it all goes a bit twiddly. And now I love the twiddly. So, I mean, that, that's one of our differences. Yeah. And one of the things I've been hearing out of Duncan lately is the phrase, you have to suspend your disbelief. Yeah. As we've been getting into this goofy crap, because <laughs> frankly, we have been listening to some weird stuff lately. Yeah, and you know yeah, what? Yeah. That's when you go down this road, listening to these albums of things that people don't remember, you're either going to get amazing forgotten gems, stuff like Joe Perry's second record, which was just this is pointless, or goofy nut bar stuff, or just abject crap. Yeah. Now, this record is for me, this record is goofy nut bar stuff. We have a get band. It who is completely out of touch with music and because they are writing hit fishing. So as Duncan put it, they're chasing the hit, but they're not chasing the hit in 1987. They're chasing the hit from 1983. They're trying to be the fix. They're trying to be Phil Collins. They're trying to be new wave Oingo Boingo in 1987 is when they're doing this. And there is nothing really redeeming about this album for me. It is, you know, when I had never heard this one, you know, as we discussed at the top of the show, what makes it forgotten? This is the, this is the album or the single or whatever that defeated Metallica for the first heavy metal Grammy. But nobody ever mentioned the name of the album whenever they mentioned that incident. So I had never gone to look for it, although I don't know that I could have, but I've never done it. So Duncan says, we need to do this, this album. And he tells me it's broadsword. And I'm like, oh yeah, somebody was talking about that one. So I'm listening to that going, this is a great concept record that's completely silly and ridiculous and whatever. But it was a Jethro Tull record. It came out in 81 or 82, around the same time as music from the Elder by Kiss. And that was the headspace I was in going into this album. Because we were supposed to record last week, this, this album, or this episode last week. So I had listened to broadsword like three times. And oh, then I get you, a, I didn't realize that. <laughs> I was so enjoying I, it. Sorry, Nick, I've got the wrong one. But if you <laughs> haven't listened yet, then let's just do the other one. And you were like, yeah, cool. You were actually like, what? I've wasted three hours of my life. Never getting it back. 
it's fine. Yeah. So, and then, and Broadsword was a very Jethro Tull record. Mm-hmm. So it's entirely possible that my ire, my anger, and my lack of being able to suspend this, my lack of disbelief suspension, my lack of forgiveness is due to the fact that we threw away, or I threw away, what I determined to be a great Jethro Tull record for this, this Jethro Tull record that no one needs and no one should ever listen to. So not only will I say bin it, I will say chuck it in the bin and then set it on fire to make sure no one else is poisoned by this one. Wow. Um, yeah, oh, yeah I, no, I take your points, but um, no, there's just so many great songs on this and there's so many great Jethro Tull moments hidden within these songs that on the surface are nothing like what Jethro Tull should be. Um, so spin it but yeah it's weird it is not bar crap but it's great not bar crap and with that i'm gonna say thanks for listening and see you next week thank you bye bye